West Bowles, good morning. All right, the year was 1990, all right, it was 1990, 27 years ago, and uh, it was fall, it was fall, much like we experienced yesterday, and I was in fourth grade at Dutch Creek Elementary School, and uh, apparently love was not paying attention to what season it was, because as the temperatures came down, um, it turned out hearts were warming up, and little fourth grade Nathan Harrison discovered that not just one, but two young ladies were after his heart. And if I'm going to continue this story, I need every single one of you to wipe the looks of doubt and surprise off your face right now. All right? I was a catch in fourth grade. So anyhow, my, my friend Tim came to me because um, he's the one who had delivered the news that these ladies, um, they liked me. And uh, that's how you do it in fourth grade, apparently. But he said, how are you going to decide? And I'm sure if I had known about Microsoft Excel in fourth grade, we would have made a spreadsheet and all this stuff. Uh, but that's basically what we did one afternoon. We, we listed the pros and the cons, and, and finally we came to what we considered a brilliant, brilliant way to decide. Part of the PE curriculum um, in the elementary school at that time was you got tested on push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups and stretching and the mile run. And so this was our brilliant solution. Whichever girl can run the mile the fastest will have the honor of being Nathan's girlfriend. Because apparently at that time, I associated fast time running the mile with deep and meaningful relationship in fourth grade. Well, uh, so we, we delivered the news to the girl who, who won. And um, the irony of it is we did not talk the entire relationship, which was one week. And uh, a week later, she literally, to break up with me, ran away from me, and I could not catch her. <laughs> but the crazy thing was the girl that I didn't select, it ended up becoming my wife. I'm just kidding. That's not how it happened. <laughs> my wife was like in kindergarten at that time. Didn't even know her. Anyway, um, but the girl that I didn't pick did not talk to me the rest of that year. And then we kind of, we had a couple classes together in junior high, and she did not talk to me. And then we got to high school, and you know what? She became homecoming royalty, and my friend Tim, he's like, yep, that's the one you didn't pick. Nice job, Nathan. Still didn't talk to me. And I thought, oh my goodness. I think back to that story. Have you ever, um, have you ever been on the receiving end of trying to live up to somebody's criteria? It's interesting how we create criteria for people to live up to, and then we base our judgments of them and our expectations of them on that. And it's one thing to have that happen, like when you're looking at a menu and saying, well, that looks really good and that doesn't, so I'm going to pick that. I mean, that's food. And it's, another, it's one thing to, to do this with your fantasy football team, right? Some guys look better on paper than others, so you pick the ones that look better, and it's, it's in your favor. But it's a different thing when that happens in the church. And I don't think many of us have to think too far to see that it has happened in the church. In fact, I get to have conversations with people on a pretty regular basis who were once part of a faith community. They once had a faith in Jesus who have walked away. And you know what's interesting? In every single conversation, you know who's not the problem? Jesus. Everybody is fine with Jesus. Jesus never did anything that they fault him for. But in their eyes, the issue was an experience with some Jesus followers or the church. Now, you got you to gotta kind of separate what's valid and what's not. Some of them, I hear it and I just go, okay, you just need a nap and you need some food in your stomach and you're going to be okay. But there are others 
they just go, yeah, you did. You got wounded years ago. And, and it, carrying it with you. And it just keeps rolling and keep rolling. And the reason I bring it up is because I think it's a very real danger in the church. It's a very real danger, especially consider this church. You know, I, I, you see that many churches will have like a target market, but God has seen fit to bring here. Thomas talked about it a little bit ago. I mean, look at all the generations. We've got from zero to 100. And it's a huge blessing. It's an opportunity for unity, but it's also, it's also there's a danger in that because we can start looking at each other through different lenses. And go, why do they do things that way? Why are they wearing that? Why do they, why do they like that? You know, and, and we can start to judge one another and set these expectations for one another. And so this morning, Thomas mentioned last week we started this, the book of James, going through the book of James. And this morning, I want to take a look at what James, the brother of Jesus, has to say about this very issue. Because at the end of chapter 1 last week, you know what he, you know what he says at the very end of chapter 1? He says... Religion that God accepts as faultless, faultless, includes keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. And I think James looked at the church and he went, if we're not careful, we're going to become polluted by the world. So if you have your Bibles, we are in James chapter 2 this morning, and I want you to follow along with me. If not, it'll be on the screen. But look at what he says at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, my brothers and sisters... As believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. And already you got to stop. If you are in here this morning and you are not a Jesus follower, guess what? You're off the hook for what we're talking about this morning. But could I invite you to consider what we're talking about this morning? Because as we walk through James, by the end of it, you know what I think we'll discover? Is that it's a better way to live. That every time we set up criteria for other people you know what we, we discover is that we actually let go of something that we need to keep sight of. And James is going to point us to that. But he says, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and then he just lays it out there, don't show favoritism. In other words, don't, if you believe in all that Jesus was and all that he did, don't turn around and do something that he never did. And then James says, okay, well, maybe an illustration would help. Listen to this. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, and what would he be referring to? A meeting of Jesus followers. Maybe church. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention, James is saying, that's favoritism. That's favoritism. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not, and look at this word, discriminated? Whoa, 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 James, like, this, this wasn't discrimination. This is just a, it's just a preference thing. I just wanted to talk to that person. He goes, no, it's partiality is what it is. No, 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 James, it's like we always talk every single week when he comes in. I just, I just prefer to talk to that one. He says, it's not a preference thing. It's prejudice. That's what it is. And then he, then he goes on, as if that wasn't enough. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Wow. See, they would have understood this context because in the history of Israel, there was a time that God appointed judges to oversee the people. And they wanted, whenever they went before a judge, they wanted the exact same thing you and I would want if we went before a judge, right? Fair and equal treatment. 
and we want to be heard. And James is looking at this dynamic going on and he's saying, look, there is an issue here. The way we see people is a serious thing. And if we're not careful, there is a severity to it that we have to be cautious about because we're going to lose sight of something really important that he's going to get to in a minute if we keep doing this. I think James would say that if all, if, if when somebody walks in, if all I can see is the outside of you, then I need to consider what's going on inside of me. James is saying we seem to only see the surface of people. I know we like to think that we see deeper, but we do. He uses rich and poor here and an economic filter, but there are a lot of filters that we see people with. It's their past, it's their different preferences. It's, um, it's maybe mistakes they've made or successes they've had. It's our history with them, whether it's been rocky or smooth. A lot of them. We seem to only see the surface of people. That's the exact idea that a study that came out in a journal of pediatric medicine, uh, that's what this study put forth. What they did is they, they brought some elementary kids into a room, and they laid before them on plates um, a chicken nugget from McDonald's, Okay, no packaging. And then they laid before them this, this frozen chicken nugget that had been heated up. And they said, okay, taste each one and tell us which one was McDonald's. Well, they got it every time. So then they built on it. And they said, okay, now they come in. They set in a uh, McDonald's chicken nugget on the plate. And they took the frozen chicken nugget that had been warmed up. And they put it inside a McDonald's cardboard nuggets box. And they asked the kids, okay, which one is the McDonald's chicken nugget? And which one do you think they said? The one in the box, even though it wasn't. So then they took this one more level. And this is a great parenting, uh, I, we got to try this, okay? They put a carrot on the plate, and then they put a carrot in the chicken nuggets uh, box from McDonald's. And these carrots had originally come from, from the same package. Which one do you think the kids said they liked better? The packaging, yes. So, this week, I started wearing around McDonald's wrappers and packaging and stuff. And my parents just like me, or my kids like me better. My parents do. Anyway, um, but isn't it interesting? We seem to prefer, and we seem to only see the surface. And that's what James is getting at here. And he says, it's a serious deal. And after having established the way we see people, well, now James is going to contrast that with something else. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. In other words, what he just said could have sounded harsh, but this is a man with a heart for people. He's got a pastor's heart. He wants to see the church thrive. And he says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? And I can't help wondering if at this point, James, as he was writing, was just thinking about his brother's life. I mean, James didn't even come around to believing that Jesus was God and the Son of God until after Jesus' life was over. But I wonder how many moments flashed through his mind and he went, oh my gosh, he was always with who? The poor and the oppressed and the sick. And then when people were brought to him, oftentimes, who was it? It was the poor and the oppressed and the sick. And how did he treat them? He didn't overlook them. And then he comes back to his audience. Verse 6, but you, you have insulted the poor. 
Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? See, that was a situation that was going on in, in this culture, especially Roman culture. What would happen is if, if you wanted to progress up the, the status ladder, there were different things you could do. If you were a judge, you could give favorable judgments to those who could pay you the money for them. It's called bribery. Okay? If you were rich, if you wanted to gain status in the eyes of other, others, you could drag people into court and win judgments against them. And so what did they do? They grabbed the Christians, dragged them into court, and they would win these judgments. And then he, he says, verse 7, Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? In other words, the ones you're overlooking are the very ones God has a heart for. And the ones that you're showing favor to, they're the ones who are exploiting you. Now, let me be clear. James is not saying that to be poor is, is the greatest and to be rich is a sin. He's saying if that's what we see when somebody walks in the door, is just the outside, that's sin. We have an issue. In other words, he's established we seem to only see the surface, but then how God sees. And I think this raises a question for all of us. Am I willing to see as God sees? Am I willing to look at people and see what God sees when he looks at people? Maybe the best way to understand how God sees people is to think about how he sees you. Do, do any of you know the name Wynton Marsalis? Wynton Marsalis, anybody? He's one of the greatest trumpet players of our time, and all of us jazz music fans know that, okay? I don't have a musical bone in my body. I did not know that. But there is a story about Wynton Marsalis, okay? He's a, he's a music museum curator. He's a philanthropist. But he was, he was doing a show in New York one evening, and there were a number of music critics in the audience who wrote for major publications. And Wynton Marsalis, to wrap up the evening, nobody was accompanying him. It was just him. And he was playing a solo of a song called, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance Without You. And so he was playing this thing beautifully. People were applauding during the performance. And about three quarters of the way through the song, guess what happened? A cell phone went off. And yeah, how do you get when you hear a cell phone go off, right? We all, we all look around and we glare and who is it? And then ours goes off and it's like, oh, whoops, it was me, you know? But we get so upset and so people were murmuring. One critic later said that he wrote on a piece of paper, it was jazz music magic, totally ruined by the tone of a cell phone jingle. And so while everybody's murmuring and everybody's upset about the cell phone that kept going off, you know what Wynton Marsalis did? He started playing the notes to the jingle of the cell phone. And he played it in high notes, and he played it in low notes, and he played it slowly, and he played it fast, and then seamlessly transitioned right back into the song and landed it to a standing ovation. Did you know that when God looks at you, you are not a disruption? You are not a distraction, and you are not an interruption. God looks at you, and what may be a disruption to others, he looks at you and he says, no, 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 I love you. I can make music with that. That's how I see you. And when you understand that that's how God sees you, that starts to change how we see others. And so now, 
James has established this contrast. There's how we see people. We seem to see the surface a lot of the time. And then how God sees. And now what he's going to do is he's going to look at his audience. He's going to look at us. And he says, so now you have a choice. Verse, verse 8. He says, if you, look at this word, really. This is kind of like when I'm taking our daughters to school and I say, did you brush your teeth? And one of them always says, yeah, I did. And I go, really? No, I didn't. If you really, really keep the, and look at this word, royal law. Why is this the royal law? But when you see what it is, you'll remember, this law was royal because it was pointed at by a king, by our king. And he says, behind love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is the king of the laws. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. And then there's this word in the next verse, but. But. James is considered within the New Testament what's called wisdom literature. And we have wisdom literature in the Old Testament as well. It's Proverbs written by the wisest man who's ever walked this earth outside of Jesus, King Solomon. But what wisdom literature does is it, it often sets before you a choice. It's either or. And one of the choices is always God's way. And the other choice is some other way. It's your way, it's the world's way, it's somebody's way. But it's not God's way. And so James, what he's doing right now is he's setting a choice in front of all of us. He says, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And you hear that and you go, how? And he's pointing back to the book of Leviticus, where there are, there, within a few verses, it says one law is you do not show partiality in favor of the rich and against the poor. And a few verses later, it says, but also you love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, he says, for whoever keeps the whole law, and listen to this part, and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. This is why Paul said, if you want to live under the old law, that's a curse. Jesus already fulfilled that law. You, don't, you do not have to live by that law anymore. But if you want to live by it, you, you are held to this. If you stumble at one point, you're condemned. I mean, can you imagine, students, okay, you, you've studied for this math test. You've worked, for, you've worked on this paper for hours and hours and days and weeks, and you get it back. And at the top, in red ink, it says 99 out of 100. And most days, we'd be like, I am awesome. And yet he says, fail. Should have had higher standards. Should have studied harder. No scholarship. Or can you imagine being at your desk after lunch and your supervisor, your boss comes in and says, you have given so much to this place. You've given so many years. You've been the model employee. You've gone above and beyond and you've helped others. But oh, your lunch break today, it's two minutes too long. Fired. Don't call for recommendations, no references, fired. Or if we wanted to use James lingo, can you imagine somebody sentenced to death? They're in the electric chair, they're about to have the hood put over their head, and they say, hey, uh, any last words? And if it was you or me, we'd say, well, yeah, I've got a lot of last words. I didn't realize that parking ticket was so serious. James says, isn't it absurd? But this is what we do to people. 
When we show favoritism, we give favor to one person and then we condemn and we judge someone else. And James says it's crazy. It is that absurd. He says, so you can live that way. Or, there's another way. Two verses later, verse 12. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives, what's that word? Freedom. Do you want to know what happens when you live, love your neighbor as yourself? You give freedom to your neighbor. And you live out of, within, but also out of this overflow of the freedom that Jesus gave you and me when he died on the cross for our sins. That's the law that gives freedom. And then he points at the very thing that we lose. Anytime we set up criteria that somebody's got to live up to, he points at it. He says, because judgment without mercy. You want to know what we lack when we set up criteria for people to live up to? Mercy. When we make judgments on their ability to live up to that criteria, you know what we lose? Mercy. He says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I guess if we boil this whole thing down, you know what I think James is getting at? Is how do we see each other? And are we going to continue to see the way we see or are we going to see the way God sees? I think James is saying that when, when we see as Jesus sees, well, we can love as Jesus loves. When we learn to see people the way Jesus sees them, that's when we can love people as Jesus loves them. And as I sat with that idea this week, I just, I just got thinking, and, and a couple questions came to mind that I thought, man, I need these questions, and I'm going to throw them out to you guys. First question is this. Who is on my radar? Who's on my radar? I mean, every single week, who gets my best foot forward? Who gets my service? Who gets the, the, full, um, the full force of my love? And why? Is it because they just agree with everything that I stand for? Is, is it because of their appearance? Is it because of our past is a smooth one? And the second question, similar question, but it's one to consider, who's not on my radar? And why? Who maybe have I written off and said, no, you sit on the floor? Who am I... Who am I um, showing partiality against? Who am I neglecting? Because prejudice can run in two directions. We can be prejudiced in favor of our preferences and what we like, and we can also be prejudiced against what we don't. And yet for here, for this church, for the church worldwide, but for here, this church, you know what, it should be as simple as this. If somebody walks in the door and they're a Jesus follower, you know what, we embrace them because Jesus lives in them. And if somebody walks in this door and they're not a Jesus follower, guess what? We embrace them because Jesus died for them. Regardless of their past. Regardless of our preferences. Regardless of their appearance. And if I could speak to those of you in the room that if you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower, can I ask you, isn't this a better way to live with mercy if you want to talk more about that, come find me after service. We'll go talk to our Heavenly Father together. And you know what you'll discover? You'll discover exactly how he sees you. 
with eyes of mercy, not judgment. One story, and I'm done. It was in the aftermath of the World Trade Center attacks in 2001 that uh, the church where the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir um, is at, they lost four members of their choir, one of which was a, police, a policeman. And Rudy, the mayor at the time, Rudy Giuliani, was at the service for this police officer, and he made some remarks at the service that I thought, that is it right there. Let me read this to you. He said, you know, I've learned something through all this. Let me see if I can express it. When everybody was fleeing that building and the cops and the firefighters and the EMS people were heading up into it, do you think any of them said, I wonder how many blacks are up there for us to save? I wonder what percentage are whites up there? How many Jews are up there? Let's see, are these people making $400,000 a year or $24,000 a year or something in between? He says, no, when you're saving lives, they're all precious. And that's how we're supposed to live all the time. How would you want the cops to treat you if you were on the 75th floor that day? Would you want them to say, excuse me, but I've got to get the bosses out first? No. Did you know you have a heavenly father? You have a heavenly father who so badly wanted to rescue you and so badly wants to rescue those around you, that you come into contact with all week long, who walk through the doors of this church, who are sitting here right now, that he said, I will give my everything to save them. And he sent his son to die on a cross and rise again so that we would be saved. That's how he sees you and me and all those we come into contact with. When we see as Jesus sees, we can love as Jesus loves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've brought about. The opportunity to join together in a couple weeks here, but thank you for this morning right now, uh, that we would come together as a church body and, and be able to just be reminded to see one another and to see all those you've been so faithful to bring in the door, to see them as you see them. And so, Lord, write that on our hearts, not just this week. We need this. This is the royal law. Let us see people with eyes of mercy, no matter who you put in our path. Write that on our hearts so that we can carry it this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. We'll see you next week.